Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening, of course, to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, always so pleased when you join us. So is Alan Dempsey. Uh, he's our engineer. Good one. Real good one. And Andrew Herdliska produces the show. Dr. Christopher Morgan, we'll just call him Chris, uh, he's our first guest. He's a professor of theology and dean of the School of Christian Ministries at California Baptist University. He joins us from Riverside, California. And we're going to talk about his book, Christian Theology, The Biblical Story and Our Faith. Chris, welcome to Orlando. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, how did the book come about? What's the background? Well, I've been teaching students in theology in the undergraduate level for 22 years, and then off and on in the master's and Ph.D. level. And I've been longing for a textbook that I felt like fit what uh, I was wanting to do. And there's a lot of great ones out there. But I felt like I, I wanted one that showed how the biblical story leads to the topics of the Christian faith, how the storyline of creation, fall, redemption, new creation— uh, sets up our understanding of theology. So the goal is to sort of write clearly with a lot of um, treatment of biblical passages and some treatment of history and global views and do a substantial but clear um, theology textbook. And so it'd be, it'd be usable in church le- among church leaders, pastors, seminary students, college students. Chapter one is called Knowing God. Let's start right there, Chris. Tell us about the opening of your book. Yeah, well, when we think about knowing God, we know we're in over our heads, right? Right Mm. off the bat, we get it. And so I feel like uh, we ought to start there, though, by understanding that passages like Psalm 139, David is saying things like, God, how precious are your thoughts to me, how vast their sum is. Uh, This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. And so David knows that God is beyond understanding in one sense. And yet David also knows that God's revealed himself to us. So he, he knows us completely, and we know him, but we only know him in part. But how do we know him, and how do we go about knowing him? And, and I think it's encouraging that instead of giving up by saying, hey, God's infinite and I'm not, that therefore I'm in deep trouble and I have despair and I can't understand anything, it actually doesn't lead him to despair but the humility and hope because he knows that God's thoughts are beyond our thoughts and beyond our ability to track, and his ways are above our ways, but he cries out to God for wisdom. And the God of the Bible is not one who doesn't want to be known, but has chosen to make himself known, and he's revealed himself. And so by going into despair like some in our movement, you know, in our world would do, well, we can't know everything, therefore we can't know anything. And David sees it differently. No, we can't know everything because he's God, but we can know truly uh, what God has said, and he's revealed himself. Um, and so I feel like the knowing God chapter is very important because, hold it, we can know God. This is who he is. This is how we go about him. And so in that chapter, what we do is we kind of talk through our posture in theology, because sometimes I think people use theology as a hammer rather than seeing it as a, all we're, all we're really doing is we're trying to study who God is and understand ourselves and others in the world and the church around us in light of who God is. And so we do that in a certain spirit rather than maybe in an overconfident way. We have confidence in the Bible, and we have uh, reliable sources in church history, and we have the, the local and global church to work with, but we also have 
a posture of humility and love and so forth that we can uh, you know, have in terms of our attitudes. So we can study as humble listeners to God. Uh, Psalm 19 would point us this way. We can study as diligent seekers. We can study as faithful servants and even tested travelers. Uh, our journey in this world sometimes is uh, not as easy as we wish, and there's suffering involved, but that actually makes us good theologians, according to Martin Luther, because we can begin to see that the Bible isn't just for our ideas, but it's for our life. It's like a compass, right? It tells us where, to, where true north is. It doesn't tell us everything we need to know that we might want to know about the, the map, but it tells us what we need to know about how to follow the Lord and how to understand ourselves and so forth. So um, basically that that chapter also, we know God uh, in the biblical story. God has shown us who he is as creator, as judge uh, in terms of the fall, but also as covenant Lord who doesn't stop loving us despite the fall and the sending of his son and so forth. And then the, the one who returns uh, to bring about the full grand finale uh, of all time. And so um, we can we can know God through his revelation. We can know God through um, those kinds of things. We now well, move, along, go ahead. Chris, let's get to the second topic. It's simply called God's Revelation. Uh, tell us about this, please. Yeah, when we hear the word revelation, and we might think of the book of Revelation, and that's, that's an awesome uh, but in, in theology, when they use the word revelation, we're usually talking about God's communication of himself, God letting us in on who he is, sort of like a curtain being pulled back, and we're getting to see what God is like, obviously in part, of course, but we get to know God for who he really is, and he has chosen to make himself known. He loves to make himself known, and he's made himself known in various ways, Um and so we need this revelation because on our own, we can't, we can't just discover God up from the ground up. We can know a few things, but we need God to, to communicate to us. So he's communicated himself in a couple of different major ways through what we call general revelation, which is God's communication of himself to all people at all times and all places, and through what's called special revelation, which is God's communication of himself in specific ways, in concrete uh, times, in in history. And so in general revelation, we would tend to think of God shows who he is in creation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1, 18 through 32, Romans 2, and so forth. He, he reveals himself in creation. We don't know everything there is to know about God, but we do know there is a God. We do know that God is awesome. And you walk up and see the Grand Canyon, and you're immediately going, wow, there's something bigger than me here. You go to the ocean, and you don't think, hey, how big I am. You realize that there is a God bigger than us. Mm. He also He also reveals Himself in humanity. He makes us in His image. So there's something in every human being that testifies, bears witness that there is a God, and this God is um, good. And we can tell this in a lot of different ways. Sometimes um, just this instinct of some sort of right and wrong, the conscience is a part of this, and that sometimes can get seared and people get it confused, but. I think of it like with little kids. Um, they may not always know when they've done something wrong. They typically know. But they always know when somebody's mistreated them. We're watching a society right now, actually, that understands that there's something like something called right and wrong. They just don't want to call it that. Uh, they don't necessarily think it's wrong if they do something, but they always notice if it's wrong, it's wrong, something is wrong when somebody else does something. 
and that that sense of justice is a great thing. It's a gift of God's revelation. Uh, we're image bearers. We we know there's a sense of in which we should treat God and others in a certain way. So he communicates to everybody in some ways, but those ways don't lead people to salvation on their own, but they are enough to bear witness. So God is always communicating. A missionary that goes on the scene where the gospel's never been preached is not the first time, not the first person that God has, not the first, it's not the first time God's been speaking to people. God has been speaking to those folks too in creation and their conscience and so forth. But the gospel is necessary uh, for salvation as the Bible emphasizes and John 14, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says that, not not the not just some exclusivist in the 20th century, not just some fundamentalist. Jesus says that, and and Paul says things like faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and so forth. So the gospel is necessary, and um, God has communicated Himself in special ways, special revelation, you know, in in various ways, the scriptures especially. Uh, and the person of Jesus in the most ultimate way. Uh, and so we need to know him through the scripture and through the person of Jesus. And so in that chapter, we take a good hard look at passages about the Bible. And we see how that scripture is inspired by God. It's God's very word. It's authoritative. It's inerrant. It's sufficient. It's clear. And it's also beneficial. Chris Morgan is our guest. Uh, he is in California. We've got another segment with Dr. Christopher Morgan. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening, of course, to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Stay tuned to those call letters all day long, and you'll be better for it. We'll be right back. Dr. Chris Morgan is our guest. We're talking about his book, Christian Theology, the biblical story and our faith. Chris, we've arrived at this topic, God the Trinity. Uh, tell us about this. Well, obviously we can't solve this and explain this in a few minutes, but uh, it's what an amazing truth that we have one God who exists simultaneously as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the Trinity gets very confusing to people, but if I could help maybe clarify, there's many, many depths of this that we can't go. But we can know a few things. The, the word Trinity, by the way, just means tri-unity, three in one. And people might say, well, the Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the idea of the Trinity is all through the Bible. And the word Trinity just summarizes five truths, essentially. There's one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct yet united. That's essentially what we mean by the Trinity. There's one God, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct, yet united. Uh, And the Bible gives abundant um, truths about that. The most common question is about Jesus being God, and Jesus' deity is emphasized in John chapter 1, where he is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is in the beginning, Going back like to Genesis 1, he is preexistent. Jesus existed before he was born. Jesus is equated with God. He's called the Word, the revelation of God. He's, he's with God. In other words, he's distinguished from the Father. He's equated with God. Uh, he's the creator. 
He's the life giver. He's the source of light. He's the object of faith. He's full of grace and glory, so he has the attributes of God. Uh, He's the object of worship. And we're just in John's introduction. So John begins and ends with that emphasis. Other other passages to do as well, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus exists as God and equal with God and doesn't cling to his status, but voluntarily humbles himself for us and so forth. Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, John 20, 28, Romans 9, 5, passages like that highlight Jesus being, uh, being God. So the Trinity, there is one God who exists simultaneously as Father, Son, and Spirit, and we uh, have this amazing privilege of knowing knowing this true and living God. Uh, the next topic, Chris, God's attributes and works. Tell us more. Well, God is an amazing, uh, amazing being, and we have the privilege of knowing him and loving him and studying him. And God has communicated himself in a variety of ways, but he always uses um, you know, he's communicating to humans, so he's always using human words and human categories and human thought forms. And so we're in the Bible, the Bible goes through over and over different ways God has described. Wonderful passages like Exodus 34 unpack him. Uh, he unpacks and reveals who he is. Um, and then he, theologians have tried to figure out how in the world do you organize this and communicate it. And so we tend to talk about God having certain attributes that we might call unique or what we call incommunicable that cannot be communicated, cannot be shared uh, directly with human beings and others that are shared. So his unique attributes, he's alive, you know, he's self-existent, we're not. He is one, he is a unity, he is spirit, he is infinite, he is present, omnipresent, if you want to use that word. He's all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing, omniscient. He's eternal, he's unchanging, and he's great. All of these things describe what God is like. The Bible uses different words to describe each of these. And then God also has attributes that actually he shares with us. He is personal, and he makes us personal. He is sovereign, and he's given us dominion and as the image bearers of God. He is wise, he offers us wisdom. He is truthful. He wants us to know truth, walk in truth, be marked by truth. He's faithful and wants us to be faithful. He's holy and so forth and righteous and loving and gracious and merciful and good and patient and glorious. It's really important to think about these truths, not as a bunch of individual characteristics of God, but God is revealing his person and these characteristics sort of come together and gel together and interrelate and and cohere in such a way that we can know what God is like. So God is sovereign, but we don't take sovereignty out and think of that on its own, because God is, is, his sovereignty is always a personal sovereignty, a wise sovereignty, an infinite sovereignty, an eternal sovereignty, a holy sovereignty, or God is holy, but that's not in some sort of intent, it's not intention with his goodness or his love, it's a holy love and a loving holiness and a righteous love and a loving righteousness. And so, One thing I think we have to be careful of when we think about God is we have to realize that God is communicating himself as a person, as one, not as a bunch of component uh, parts along the way, and thinking of these truths in a more holistic way. 
Chris Morgan, our guest. Chris, humanity and sin. Uh, what do you write here? Well, the doctrine of humanity is really one of the major issues of our day. If you think about where the culture and Christianity are at, you know, it's somewhat at odds right now. It's often the view of humanity because the idea of being in the image of God, made in the image of God, and the idea of being sinner are um, out of vogue uh, right now for sure. So under the doctrine of humanity, what we mean is essentially this. One, we're created by God. God created us, and he's blessed us, and he has uh, made us to serve him and know him. Right? Being made uh, is, is not all, but we're being made in his image. So we're created in the image of God as the image bearers of God. So this means that we have something in common with God. We can relate to God. We have a spiritual capacity. It means that we can love God and know God. It means that we can serve God. It means that we are his agents on mission for him in which we have authority uh, over creation. We have community with one another. We have ability to worship. And so um, this is who we are. Fundamentally, what does it mean to be human? Is not is a million people giving different answers. The Christian answer is we're created by God in the image of God to relate to God, know God, love God, and serve God. That's who we are. That's, that's how to live our purpose is to live out what it means to be the image of God. And he creates us in his image as holistic beings, as people who are physical and who have a soul and that those two things are not somehow disconnected, but that they're holistically related. And then um, understanding that we're created by God in his image for his glory is also key. Obviously, though, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that Adam and Eve sin. And so while the image of God remains, the image of God is not something that we are doing very well. We are not functioning in the image of God very well, and we instead sin. We make life about ourselves. We're preoccupied with ourselves rather than God. Uh, And so we're committing somewhat of a cosmic treason against God. And um, and that leads to all kinds of things. Adam's sin brings sin to the world. It results in the fall. And that means that we're all sinners. We're all guilty before God, that we all die. We're all corrupt. We all suffer. We're all estranged from God and we all need God's grace. Chris Morgan, our guest from Riverside, California. <clears throat> Chris, I want to roll a topic six and seven into one. Uh, six is Jesus. Seven is Jesus' saving work. Uh, tell, tell us more. Well, obviously, Jesus is the point of Christianity. So uh, what an amazing privilege just to think about him and talk about him. In a passage I referred to earlier, John 1 and so forth, we could think about again. But Jesus is um, he is both divine and human, right? And so he is the eternal and preexistent Lord. He enters uh, human history, becomes a person, a, a human being. He is born of a virgin. He remains sinless. He perfectly obeys God's law and does not sin. He is divine. He's identified with God. He performs the works of God. He saves us in union with, with himself. He brings the age to come. He receives worship. He's the object of our faith. Like we said, he's, he's divine. He's also fully human. 
He has human needs. He displays human emotions. He has human experiences. He has a relationship with the Father. Uh, his humanity is genuine. And he's, he's both God and man simultaneously in unity. So he's not some sort of hybrid of a little bit God and a little bit man or maybe uh, some sort of blend of the two. And But there's a perfect unity of his deity and his humanity. And he's the exalted Lord. And only and all those things are very important because only Jesus can save. Salvation is accomplished only by him because he's the only one that can do it. I can't save. Uh, you can't save. Nobody else can save. We can't even pay for our own sins. We're uh, worthy of judgment. And yet Jesus is uniquely able because he is fully God. Only God can save. And he's fully man. Only that which is assumed can be redeemed. In other words, only a, a human can represent a human. And so uh, Jesus you know, has various events in his life that become important for our salvation, right? He becomes a human being, the incarnation. He lives a sinless life. In other words, if he wasn't sinless, he couldn't represent us. He dies in our place. He rises from the dead. If he didn't do that, we wouldn't have life. He ascends to heaven. He sits at God's right hand. He sends the Holy Spirit. He intercedes. He returns in victory. All those things are Christ-saving events that are key for our salvation. The Bible stresses the cross and the resurrection is the essence of that, the key pieces of that, if you will. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15 would highlight that as well as the essence of the gospel. And then he basically is dying as a substitute for our sins, in which we who are guilty, are um, our guilt is being placed on Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness is being placed on us, and we get an unbelievable trade uh, we, 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 uh, what we offer God is our guilt, and Jesus is offering his righteousness to us in that amazing trade. Uh, I um, am eager to hear about the uh, ninth topic, the Holy Spirit. Uh, fill us in. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, when Christians are talking today about the Holy Spirit, it tends to be about debates. Uh, but we just need to think about the wonderful blessing that we have in having the Holy Spirit in our lives and um, realize that some passages are not going to be always so simple to, to understand and that good Christians are on both sides of some of these questions. But um, the Holy Spirit is um, fully divine. He's personal as well. He's always existed. Uh, he, he is a part of the works that God accomplishes uh, consistently throughout the world. Um, he applies what Jesus Christ has done to us. One of the things maybe we don't think about is how what Jesus Christ has done for us is is connected to us. How? By the Spirit. How do we have new life in Christ? Because the Spirit of God connects us to Christ. And so he is a person, he is God, he's a member of the Trinity, and he works in creation, he inspires the Scriptures, he works in the Old Testament, he works in the Apostles, he works in the world works in Jesus and so forth, and he connects us to Jesus Christ. He applies our salvation in Christ, and we have this amazing blessing of being indwelled by him, empowered by him, being given fruit by him. He guides our church as leaders. He enables our worship. I mean, on and on and on it goes. We have the gifts from him to serve the Lord and serve one another. Uh, we've got a one, about a minute, Chris. 
Uh, I want to get to the 12th topic, the Christian life. Give it, give us 60 seconds on that. The Christian life is basically in which we are following after what God has saved us for. So we have been saved in Jesus Christ by grace, and we now have grace to follow Jesus Christ. The same grace that gets us saved is the same grace that sustains our salvation. It's the same grace that keeps us going every day. So it's not about our works primarily. It's about his grace enabling us. And the Christian life should be characterized by love for God and love for others. If we, you know, Disciplines are important, but the disciplines should be leading us to love God and love others. And the context of the Christian life should be life together in the body of Christ in the church. We need each other. God gives grace to us directly in Jesus Christ, but he also gives us grace in the form of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the local churches we're a part of are a means of God shaping us and growing us uh, in, in, as we walk with God. So. Dr. Christopher Morgan has been our guest, author of Christian Theology, great book, The Biblical Story and Our Faith. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Our guest in that first segment, Dr. Christopher Morgan, a professor of theology and dean of the School of uh, Christian Ministries at California Baptist University. Uh, we talked about his book, Christian Theology. Well, folks, I'm often asked on this particular show, which we've been doing here at WTLN, or the noon AM 990, I mean, for many, many years, and uh I'd say 98% of our guests are authors, and I'm often asked, uh, why authors so much? Well, uh, first of all, uh, they're always interesting. Uh, They're always passionate about the topic that they've written about, and they're eager to to get the word out, and so it's it's, uh, quite easy to line up these authors uh, to come on the show. Um, but, but really deep down, I'll tell you what the deal is. Uh, I am hooked on reading and, uh, it's such an important area of life. So I want to just talk to all of our listeners today about, uh, the importance of reading. First of all, uh, let me just point out, uh, that, uh, your brain is a muscle, uh, like any other muscle in the human body, it does have a hard, bony, protective device around it called the skull. Uh, but that brain is a muscle, and uh, it needs to be taken care of, uh, just like all the other muscles in your body. So how do you take care of that cranial muscle uh, inside that uh, bony structure? Well, a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, uh, that uh, bony, str- that, that, that little brain of yours, which is about the size of a cantaloupe, two and a half to three pounds. First of all, it needs sleep. It needs rest to really take care of it. Uh, You've got to uh, provide the rest that your brain muscle needs. Uh, That means sleep. Uh, Eight hours a night. That's what our mothers used to say, right? Well, it's true. And if you, you grab a quick afternoon nap, nothing wrong with that. Second way to take care of that cranial muscle is to um, make sure that it's uh, fed well, good nutrition, and and above all, uh, that it's hydrated. Uh, We hear so much about drinking water and so forth, but it's it's important. 
uh, that cranial muscle needs to be hydrated regularly. Uh, then there's a third way to take care of that uh, cranial muscle, and that is it needs exercise. Uh, and I've learned you can't attach it to a, <laughs> a stationary bike or to uh, weightlifting machines. <laughs> you can't. But the best device that you can hook up to that cranial muscle is called a book. And the exercise is called reading. I wrote a book a few years ago called Read for Your Life. And uh, we talked about uh, topics like what to read and where to read and when to read and uh, how to navigate a bookstore. On and on we went. It was quite an interesting project that we undertook. So let, let, me, uh, let me just expand on that. Uh, first topic, um, what should I read? And my answer is very simple. What are you interested in? Um, read in areas that you have interest. Um, I am uh, interested. People ask me, well, what do you read? Well, here's where I read. I read uh, the top of the area would be called Christian Inspiration. Uh, I read um, Baseball History. I read uh, basketball books. I read football books. I read uh, presidential biographies. I read uh, Revolutionary War history. I read Civil War history. I read World War II history. I read leadership books. Uh, I read success books. Uh, Some current events. Those are the fields that I'm interested in. Uh, Don't ask me to read novels. I just can't do I don't do it. Uh, don't ask me to read uh, um, ancient history. It's not my feel, not my interest. Uh, raising roses, uh, being a French cook, no, uh, not my area. So read in the areas where you have interest. Uh, secondly, uh, when do I read? I, I'm going to say uh, all day long. Uh, and and um, here's the deal. If you will read for an hour a day from, from a book you're interested in, at the end of one week, you will have finished the book. And that's a big deal because the average man, upon finishing high school, will not read another book the rest of his life. Uh, 90% of all the books purchased in this country are purchased by women. And uh, so... Uh, you can read uh, when you get up in the morning. You can uh, stay in at the office when we have offices, uh, and and you can read there instead of going out for lunch. Uh, You can read while you're waiting to pick your kids up after school. Uh, You can read after your children go to bed at night. Uh, That means turning off the television set uh, or or watching a game, as I do, with the sound off. Uh, but but you're grabbing time wherever you can uh, to do that hour a day. And that leads to the question, where do I read? Well, you read in your car. You read waiting in doctor's offices. You read uh, waiting at the airport. Uh, you always have a book with you because you never know when there's going to be time that develops. Uh, you may be uh, you know, meeting your spouse at the airport one day, and the plane's going to be an hour late. And rather than get upset, just say, yes, this is wonderful. I've got an extra hour to read sitting in my car. Uh, But always have 
books with you and always have the next book ready. Often I'll hear people say, oh, I just finished a good book. And I will say, well, what are you reading next? I haven't decided yet. No, you always have the next book uh, waiting. Uh, Here's what I do. I read from uh, uh, numbers of books at the same time. Uh, I'll be reading a book on uh, baseball history. I'll be reading a book about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I'll be reading a book by Dr. Erwin Lutzer. We Will Not Be Silenced is his latest book. Uh, And so I will uh, rotate through those books. My goal is to finish one book every day. Now, that doesn't mean from start to finish, uh, but it means if I've got five or six books going at the same time, uh, pretty much every day, one of them is going to get finished. And, uh, and then, uh, rather than uh, let my books just disappear, uh, I save them. I've saved every book that's come my way since I was, I guess, seven years old. And the end result is something like 35,000 books have been accumulated. Uh, and my wife has made it very clear they are not all going to be in the house. So I've got them uh, sitting in storage down at our church, First Baptist Church Orlando, and uh, the church is interested in um, uh, producing at some point, as soon as the pandemic slows down, uh, the Pat Williams Leadership Library. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to that being available, where these books will finally find a permanent home. So now that leads to the next topic, how do you navigate a bookstore? I'll tell you, if you go in and you're a stranger to a big Barnes & Noble, for example, there's a, the biggest one around here is the one on uh, Highway 50. Uh, there's another one up on 436. There's another one down on Sand Lake Road. Uh, but if you uh, pop in there and, and it's strange turf for you, you can be overwhelmed. Uh, you can be absolutely lost in a bookstore like that. Uh, and I can get lost in them. However, uh, when you narrow down your field, that means that you're not wandering all over the bookstore. So when I walk in, I pay no attention to the fiction section because I have no interest. Uh, I, I pay no attention to the cooking area. I pay no attention uh, to, to uh, different areas that just aren't my shtick. But I spent a lot of time in the history section, a lot of time in the sports section, a lot of time in the, uh, the uh, well, they call it religion, but the Christian inspiration section. Uh, I go into the business section looking for leadership books. Uh, new books are coming out all the time, and you want to uh, be up to date. You want to be, I, so I try and get into a bookstore at least once a week uh, to see what's going on out there and see what uh, what's up. Um Amazon, always a wonderful way to order books, and there's, it, it's quite a kick to me when one of those little, little Amazon trucks comes through the neighborhood, and they park in front of your house, and up they come with that little box with that little check on it, that little arrow, and, and then you get to open that book you ordered. Ooh, I, I, I love Amazon when they make those deliveries. Um, so uh, th- those are just a few thoughts about navigating a bookstore. Uh, The next topic that I want to talk about is the art of reading. You see, reading is a skill, like any other skill. And and people who struggle with reading really are not skillful at it, just as I struggle on the golf course. I'm not very good at it uh, because I haven't spent a lot of time working at it and haven't 
gotten lessons and haven't practiced. And so it's a, it's, it's a nightmare for me. And that could be the same case with reading. So uh, I, I just want to explain a few keys here to being good at reading, working at it, and, and so forth. Uh, tip number one, uh, even though your uh, reading teachers way back in grade school said, don't do this, I'm going to give you uh, permission to do it. As you come down the page with a pen or a pencil in your hand let, let it, or, your, or your index finger, let it come right down the page because one of the big problems in reading is, is you lose focus. Uh, your eyes begin to wander and you drift, but, but with your finger or your pen coming down the middle of the page, that's going to help keep you focused on the page and you're not going to be drifting and wandering. That, that's tip number one. Uh, number two, read fast. Uh, don't worry at this point about retention. Read fast. Uh, if you want to run fast, you practice running fast. If you want to throw a baseball fast, you practice throwing it fast. If you want to be a fast reader, uh, which we all want to be, uh, you um, practice reading fast. Retention at this point is not your big key. You're working at developing as a reader, so read fast. That's tip number two. And tip number three is this. Grab chunks of words in one swoop. In other words, grab short sentences, grab uh, uh, phrases, grab a chunk of a small paragraph uh, because you want to be reading down the page, not across the page. If you go across the page word by word, you will be in a book forever. But if you are using your index finger coming down the page, reading fast and grabbing chunks of words in one shot and keep at it and keep working at this. I'm still working at it. Keep practicing. And uh, not every word in a book is important. And, and the better you get at reading and the more uh, discerning you get, you'll, you'll begin to grasp uh, what the important pieces of the book are. And, and not every paragraph, not every piece of the book is vital. And, and with a trained eye, you're going to be, begin to um, really grasp how to do it. Now, I'm going to take a drink of water right now because I've been, uh, I've been just wandering here. Hold on, folks. Here, here comes water. I, I, I got the recipe for this water from Crystal Geyser. Here it is. Hold on. Pat Williams is taking a break for a drink of water. He'll be back in just a moment. I don't think I've heard you talk so long, Pat. Oh, Alan. <laughs> well, here, here's the key. You know, here let me let me talk about uh, this whole thing of interviewing. And you do it, Alan. You've got a good sense of it. But but here's here's what I've learned. Most inter many interviewers uh, do too much talking. Uh, they will talk and they will talk. And their guest sits there while the interviewer is uh, talking. And then uh, many interviewers never do end their thought with a question. Uh, they'll just talk and send and, and then expect the interviewer to respond. Uh, so I have learned, and, and the very best at ever, ever doing this was the late Larry King. Uh, so much could be learned. I wish every interviewer would, would just study and watch a video of Larry King. Because it was always about the guest, 
and and Larry uh, was had the ability to ask one sentence questions. So if he was interviewing someone, he would say, "Where'd you grow up?" You know, that's it. He wouldn't say anymore. Where'd you grow up? Uh, when did you first realize you had some uh, baseball ability? One sentence question with a question mark at the end of it, and 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 always listen to what the uh, responder is saying. They may say something really dramatic, and if you're not listening well, uh, you'll just go right by it, uh, and we'll talk more about that. we got to take a break, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Alan Dempsey. <laughs> Pat Williams here, the Saturday Power Hour. Thanks for plugging in with us. We're always so pleased when you uh, do join us. Uh, you... Um, Spend a little time with us before the break. We were talking about reading. Pat, I have a question. I'm you... sitting here listening to you. Yes. And I'm fascinated. You kind of threw me one when you said you were reading like six books at one time. Well, Alan, it's not exactly that that all six are open in front of me. I, I, I know that. I know that. But, but I'll be reading, uh, for example, at home. I'm reading a, a baseball history book that I just got. Uh, I'm reading the latest book that I just got on Abraham Lincoln called wow. Lincoln's Mentors. Uh-huh. Uh, I've got another book that's there uh, in the rotation mm-hmm. uh, about George Washington's inauguration. Uh, I've got another. Wow. I've got another book that I'm working through at the same time about Eleanor Roosevelt. And now I'm going to throw in Erwin Lutzer's new book, We Will Not Be Silenced, which Harvest House just put out. So uh, now, now others will say, I, I could never do that. You know, I, I would be so confused. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I stay in, but that's okay. Yeah. We're, we all have different approaches to this, but I like to, uh, I like to switch topics. You well, know? You, you, I could write a book called The Book Juggler. <laughs> or the book whisperer. Yeah, something like that. Books are it's books. fascinating. Uh, uh, people ask me, "Well, do you read? Uh, uh, did you do you have books on tape? Uh, do you have uh, books on your cell phone?" The answer, Alan, is no. Yeah, you don't have a Kindle or anything. No, like that. I don't, no. and I'll tell you why. I like to have the book in my hands. So do I. I, I like the you. feel of the book. And 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 here's one other thing, folks. Always have a pen or a pen in your hand when you're reading, because uh, you you will come across a story or an anecdote that you really like and you want to save it. Well, mark it, bracket it. I I will bracket it and then fold the page down. Uh, don't do this with library books, and we'll talk about libraries in just a minute. But but uh, fold the page down, and and when you're finished, I I will Xerox those folded pages down. I will then cut, you know, that piece. People ask me, how do you research all your books? Mm-hmm. A little bit every day. And, and so much, Alan, comes from reading. Yeah. So, I don't, so when I finish the book and, and I've got the folded pages and the bracketing, Xeroxed, cut. I've got a lady up in Philadelphia who, who I, I send all this up to. She types. She's the last person in America that has a regular typewriter. And she types all this on three by five cards. Uh, by t- and then I sends it back to me. <clears throat> then I file it. I've got a big filing room 
where I've got, Alan, it's got to be a couple million of these cards. I've been doing this for 40-some years. That's what I was going to ask you. When, when, did, <coughs> when did this all start? Were you younger? I'm well, I, I, not when I was a, much as a kid. See, I, as a kid, Alan, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I hated reading. <laughs> uh, you know, you would have reading assignments, and I was always good out of the smoke shop in Wilmington, <laughs> Delaware, to get the, uh, the classic comic version yeah, I of know. one of of one of these classics that you were meant to read, I, I struggled terribly with reading, except for baseball books. Okay, I was uh, I was a baseball nut as a kid. I mean, from age seven on, and and uh, uh, my family knew what to give me at presents or Christmas or birthday baseball books. But I eventually branched out uh, much later in life and got interested in in primarily American history. Uh, my dad was a history teacher in high school for many, many years in Wilmington. And so I grew up in that environment. But the, the history bug didn't really catch until much later mm-hmm. on. And I'll tell you what triggered it, Alan. I, was going to I, I went to the uh, Gettysburg battlefield in Pennsylvania. And I was a little bit, I was probably in my early 40s then. Wow. Went and toured the Battle of Gettysburg. And I'll tell you, it, and we and we had a tour guide in our car. That's mm-hmm. what they do. You put the tour guide in the car, and and as and as it turns out, he was a Christian, and he explained the Battle of Gettysburg through God's perspective. Interesting. God's eyes, you know, and mm-hmm. and and the and the little miracles that took place over those three days. Boy, I I was absolutely engaged and hooked. And so that's where my Civil War interest began. Well, do you speed read? It sounded like you were doing that a bit. Well, Alan, I've learned that, and I just and that before the break, we talked about mm-hmm. uh, those three tips that I learned years ago about staying focused, yeah, reading fast, and reading chunks of words, not one word at a time, and reading down the page, not across the page. Mm-hmm. The mission is to get to the bottom of the page, not the side of the page. Okay. So those are things that I learned, and and uh, and and I've learned that it doesn't come immediately, just like you don't become an outstanding golfer, you know, overnight. Uh, but reading is a skill, and and the more skillful you become at reading, the more you enjoy it. And and the mission is always to finish the book, and not to dabble. Um, uh, D.L. Moody, who I think he said, this one thing I do, not these many things I dabble with. So, so when people say, do you read for pleasure? Well, it, it's pleasure to me, but probably not to most people because I'm reading for research. Mm-hmm. I am reading for, um, stories. I'm reading for, uh, anecdotes. I'm reading for, uh, for quotes uh, you know, I'm, so when I'm reading, I'm always, I can't just sit and relax because I've, I've got a pen in my hand and I'm working through this, looking for the next story because it's going to be saved. And who knows, Alan, it may end up in a speech someday Interesting. or it may up in, in one of the books I'm writing. Sounds like you're reading and doing research all at the same, same time. time. Same, same time. time. Yeah. People ask me, do you, do you, uh, do you have researchers? No, nah, I, I really don't. I wish I did. <laughs> Uh, but but uh, I'm my own researcher, mm-hmm. and uh, people say, well, how do you write all these books? You've written 116 books. How have you done that? Uh, a little bit every day. People say, how do you write the books? Just a little bit every day. Every day. 
and 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 you'll never know where you'll get a quote, you know. And and, and, and Alan, the other thing I am, I'm I'm a I'm a newspaper reader. I know you always bring them with you. Yeah, I re- I have five papers in my uh, driveway every morning, and you never know where you're going to get a, a, a little quote or anecdote. For example, uh, the great Mary Wilson. And I met Mary Wilson once of the Supremes. Of the Supremes. Yeah, right. I met her once at a banquet in Washington. Never will forget her. What a joyful woman. And, oh, I mean, I might be still my heart. <laughs> anyway, she passed away yep. recently. And here, here's a little piece out of USA Today that I'm going to save. Um, she talked about joining the trio with uh, Diana Ross and uh, Ballard and Wilson. And here, here's Mary Wilson. We had no clue what was coming. I'd never wanted to be a singer, never thought about being a singer. We were just doing this as fun. It was not something like, oh, we're going to become singers, like today where everyone wants to be a star. But as soon as we started singing in the primettes, and then they changed to the Supremes, Mm -hmm. we became very aware that this is what we wanted to do the rest of our lives. At 13, I knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. We were hooked. Wow. So that's a nice little story. That's a great little story. So so I'll I'll clip that. Yeah, well, I'm a Supremes fan. I remember them oh, growing up. Oh, didn't, didn't you know. Motown. Love baby it. love, yeah. my baby <laughs> And, Alan, what people don't remember about you is that you, uh, early in your career, uh, were, a, I mean, you were a, 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 can I say this? You were a, a disc jockey? Yeah, you, I did. You, I did. You, yeah. you played record hops? I and, did. Yes, uh-oh. I did that when I was in uh, junior high school. Oh, Alan, I'm telling you I what. Did. Yeah. Uh, th- this guy, Alan Dempsey, does many things. He's on the air. He uh, he, he engineers. He he does sports. He does Christian inspiration and, and other things around this studio. And this is a great outlet, folks. Just stay tuned all day long. Just Just keep your dial set to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word, in... Orlando, Florida, the city beautiful. Alan. Amen. The city beautiful. And, and in the winter time, we don't get what is that stuff called again? Oh, Alan, you know, uh, Alan, you know what else? I have been yeah. looking. I do this every morning. Oh, snow, I, I, snow. Yeah, yeah. I, I look. I look at the weather maps. Yeah, Alan, the the high <laughs> this week in in Minneapolis, St. Paul is zero. That's the high. <laughs> the low is minus twelve. I love Central Florida. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, uh, Dr. Christopher Morgan uh, talking about his book, Christian Theology, the biblical story in our faith. And in the second segment, well... Your uh, your host uh, jumped in just to have a little chat with you about the importance of reading and some uh, tips about reading. Uh, we had a we had a really fun session. I'm so glad we got to do that. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. You can be a big help. Uh, go up to OrlandoDreamers.com. That's the website, OrlandoDreamers.com, and just check in. Good idea. I think it would be terrific. 
Uh, I'd love to have a Major League Baseball team here in Orlando. I'd be interested in season tickets if it all works out. So uh, plug in, orlandodreamers.com. Well, folks, we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And have a wonderful week ahead.